Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and Dijanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave, it didn't matter where I went over the weekend. There was one thing, actually two things, everybody's talking about: billion times two, a billion for an MLB stadium, and a billion for an NHL arena in Salt Lake City. As the saying goes, a billion here and a billion there. Next thing you know, we're going to be talking about real money. It's 9.06. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. We definitely got to talk about the mortgage interest rate creep. I just would have felt like things might uh, kind of level off, but yet stay high. At least they're going to be even out for a while. Oh, they've shot back up. Uh, Utah's Morning News reporting that builders now offering incentives to lower interest rates to new buyers. So maybe your payment's a little cheaper. Um, But what's actually out there that we can afford to buy? Anyway, (laughs) we're going to go in-depth in our 10 o'clock hour. Volatility and interest rates where they go from 6.5% to 7.5% in one month, that really prices people out. And typically this is the Debbie Downer moment. For Debbie, this uh, what's the Dave Downer, the Davy Downer moment? Can I have one of those? Can I borrow your title for a minute? Okay, I get it. Developers are still trying to encourage people. They are offering incentives, but there are teaser rate problems that that I'm concerned about. Mm. So yeah, the first couple of years may be very affordable for you. But that doesn't guarantee when that teaser rate expires that you're still going to be able to afford that mortgage rate. Countdown to... Oh, she lost again. Nikki Haley lost her fourth straight Republican primary. Um, what? Wow, that's, that's quite this thing. Um, it was her home state of South Carolina, too, that she lost in over the weekend, where she was elected twice to be governor. Now, in these four states where she's lost, and she's come in second or third place, she's lost to Trump. She's lost to DeSantis. In Nevada, she lost to none of these candidates. 65% of the vote in Nevada went to none of these candidates. But Haley is hanging on. Is it hopeless, or is she just waiting for a lucky break? Launch countdown one. Let's talk about the billion-dollar ballpark. Let's also talk about the billion-dollar hockey arena. We've got just five days left in the legislative session. Utah lawmakers um, seem like they're in a financial game of sudden death. Does it feel like we're cramming these two $1 billion each sports venue down our taxpayer throats? (laughs) Well, President of the Senate Stuart Adams, live on Utah's Morning News, just a short time ago with Tim and Amanda, says they're going to get it done. Yeah, those are two big items that are left, and I think we're going to probably get both of them done. We're going to get those across the end zone. And, uh, again, couldn't be more excited to have Major League Sports coming to Utah. It speaks so highly of what we're doing. Well, if we're just rounding up all of these numbers, how about the billion-dollar gondola? That there, there are a lot of big projects that have been proposed here in Utah. Now, I think the real question we're asking is, 
okay, yeah, these these are big numbers. These are expensive. But is it worth it? That is the key. That is the essence of the question we need to be asking. Yeah, a billion dollars is a ton, but is it worth it? Dave and Dejanovic. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dejanovic. Dave and Dejanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. Yeah, if you're a big MLB fan or a big hockey fan, sure. <laughs> It'll be worth it. You can afford to go. It's the final uh, week of this 45-day-long legislative session. Look, we are at the bottom of the ninth right now on Capitol Hill. And lawmakers are trying to score two pro sports stadiums in five in the next five days, Dave. To two teams that we don't even know of. The baseball team would be a hypothetical expansion team. NHL, likely the same thing. Either an expansion team, maybe we'll steal your Phoenix Coyotes down in Arizona. But the this is not a done deal with any of these teams. This is a hypothetical. Now, you're probably asking right now, are they going to build it like Field of Dreams? Like, if you build it, they mm. will come? No, it's not that. There would have to be an official agreement made first before they actually start breaking ground on the stadium. Okay, but a billion here and a billion there. Uh, they're going to pay for that NHL arena uh, by raising sales tax in Salt Lake City. Exclusively to Salt Lake City residents, you get a bump in sales tax. So you're going to come out to where? South Jordan and shop? You're going to go to West Valley City and shop? Uh, but we don't know yet where this arena would be built. That's something else we're not 100% sure of. Senator Dan McKay uh, called our show last week with this plan. He's the one behind the plan to raise the sales tax in Salt Lake City from 7.75% to 8.25%. I don't really know how much this adds up to be. Working with Salt Lake City and working with Salt Lake County, we feel like NHL and MLB makes an important uh, investment in the state of Utah. And it is an investment in Utah. I absolutely see that. Every state has some sort of economic stimulus office, you know, from the state. So every everyone is trying to figure out, okay, how do we take our state to the next level? If we're wanting to be a big boy city, if we want to be heavy hitters, then every city that is a heavy hitter city has professional sports. We have the Jazz, we have Major League Soccer. But we need baseball. We need hockey. We need football if we're really going to compete with the big boys. We've been doing just fine without them. I mean, I love Major League Baseball. Yeah. There's no doubt. I would be at a lot of the games if I could afford to go. But we've been doing just fine without them. We got the Olympics without um, you know, Major League Baseball, without an NHL team, without an NFL team. And we've been doing just fine without them. Uh, we do know that MLB Stadium, at least they've got a site picked out for that. <laughs> it's right around Redwood Road and North Temple, kind of by the Fair Park. And they're going to pay for that by increasing the hotel room tax, which a lot of people seem to be fine with. It's like, let the tourists pay for our fun. But there's something in this equation that I think we keep forgetting about. Representative Ryan Wilcox uh, joined the show. He's the one behind the MLB pitch when it comes to financing. He said we're going to spread the payment plans to tourists. It is the transient room tax, which is primarily paid um, through hotel stays. And that's, that part is true. And that's by design uh, where this is a tourism benefit and a lift, that that is where 
that burden would lie rather than on most Utahns. And for most Utahns, we're not going to feel this. We're, we're not going to feel it in our day-to-day. Sure, it's a half a percentage point here in Salt Lake, so when you pass through and you buy some some food, some takeout, you sit down at a restaurant, yeah, it's, it's going to cost you a few pennies more, but this is not a significant increase. You're not going to see huge amounts of money going out for these things. Well, what if you live in Moab? What if you're the mayor uh, down in Panguitch? Does Panguitch have a mayor? Um, what if you uh, live in Daggett County? So all of this hotel tax that's collected gets to come help fund uh, a Major League Baseball team uh, near downtown Salt Lake City. Seems really unfair to the uh, the rural areas of our community. I, I can see that argument. I see where you're going with it. But I think you could also look at it and say you could make an identical argument to the 2002 Winter Olympics. It just benefited the Wasatch Front. But how many people came here, came and learned about Utah, saw the beautiful mountains, and then found or rediscovered or took a little four-hour drive down to Moab and saw the Red Rock and canyons and arches on, on just a, a half-a-day trip? I think when when Salt Lake and the Wasatch Front is benefited, I think southern Utah benefits just as much in, in maybe a different way, but we have more to offer. President Stuart Adams of the Senate calling Utah Morning News just a little bit ago. So we're actually making those from out of state help fund those ballparks. Talking about the ballpark, talking about the ballpark funding on the west side of Salt Lake City. And there's something about the way the ballpark funding is structured that makes Dave feel better about it. Find out what that is next. Dave and Dejanovic. Dave and Dejanovic. Dave and Dejanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. What's everybody's talking about it? Um, a billion dollars for an NHL arena, a billion dollars for an MLB stadium. But there's something about the Major League Baseball stadium and the funding that's proposed, a billion dollars uh, that needs to be raised, that makes Dave feel better about it. And it all started when Representative Ryan Wilcox joined the show, Dave, last week to explain this. I mean, we've negotiated ownership of the stadium itself, the stadium land. Uh, we would put in less than half of the project cost to build the stadium, for example, but we would retain full ownership of the property uh, once it's built, meaning we would have an instant uh, nearly a billion dollar in equity uh, in the project. Um, and then we've written in protections so that nothing... I don't think we can overstate how important that qualification is. That we would still own the stadium as the state. That is so unique. Debbie, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of it before. I was trying to do some research and figure out how many stadiums were owned by the state itself, that the land would still be owned by the state. I couldn't find it. That's how rare it is. It's it's probably out there. I'm sure that's not a brand new model, but that really is an interesting twist to it for me. You know what else the state owns right across the street? The Fair Park. You know what that's been? A financial boondoggle or debacle. 
Uh, we're going to be, in fact, maybe not after I just said that. We're going to be live at the State Fair Park tomorrow. <laughs> no, we, I, who doesn't love a good State Fair, right? But we're going to be broadcasting our entire show live out there in what's going to be eventually called the Power District, uh, where the ballpark will go, and, and some other some other things as well. I mean, we talk about this hotel room tax being increased to fund the ballpark. Well, Representative Ryan Wilcox, who has been spearheading this plan to get this funding mechanism in place for a major league uh, baseball stadium, says, look, we're also going to improve the river walk along the Jordan River. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we're going to take it from dirt trails, too. And another thing, I don't know if you guys have been down to San Antonio and seen the river walk. Yeah. Um, our river that runs through it is actually much cooler than that one down there and uh, has never quite been leveraged properly. You look at the, at the website at BigLeagueUtah.com, you'll be able to see uh, some of the design ideas there, but we're envisioning a river walk uh, right here uh, next to downtown between the airport and downtown um, that uh, will easily rival and be able to preserve that, that area um, anything else that we've seen in the country as far as that kind of an Okay, asset. so we're going to make the Jordan River a big old tourist attraction, too. They have a bigger vision than I do about it. It's a huge vision. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. It, because I drove up and down there yesterday. You did. And I was looking, and there's a lot of rundown. Yeah. There's a lot of homeless. There's a lot of, uh, you know, poverty in this area. So the Jordan River is very, it's very dirty right now. To make it a cool river walk, you would have to revolutionize this area. Now, that's what the promise is. Does it actually get executed? Can they actually deliver on this? Can it be this this bright beacon of shining hope and wonderful lighting and, you know, just electric atmosphere? That's the promise. That's the hope. But there's a lot of money, time, and effort that would have to go into that. Mm-hmm. So what is it about the Major League Baseball Park that intrigues you over, for example, we don't know if the, the taxpayers are going to own an NHL arena. We don't yeah. own the Delta Center, right? Which is where the Jazz play. No. We don't own Correct. that. Correct. So, so we don't know if our billion dollars for this NHL stadium, which will be raised through an increase in Salt Lake City's uh, sales tax, we don't know if that's going to um, pay for us to own that arena. But we do know from speaking uh, to folks on Capitol Hill, Dave, that we will own the the ballpark. What intrigues you about that? I'm not. I'm not okay, convinced. The, it's there. There are some fair worries about that because if you own something. You're responsible for the upkeep. You're responsible for the area around yeah, it. You're like the landlord. So exactly. So if something needs to be done, maintenance, uh, that that means you're on the hook, state of Utah. And that was a great point you put up. I hadn't thought about that, but the state fair park, yeah, kind of the same thing. Does does the state do a good job of marketing? this area and investing in this area. Well, just know for me, 10 years ago or so, the state was financially trying to figure out how to keep the fair park afloat. You know, and ba- I think about baseball and the, uh, what is it, 80, 90 games, home games a season. Uh, what else is that used for? Uh, concerts? Could we use a bit majorly, or do they get funny about us, you know, walking around on the turf out there or the grass or whatever it is they play on? 
a lot of other places, a, a lot of other stadiums will hold concerts there, but it's still not a great place for concerts. Number one, it's outdoors. So you're, you're limited to a handful of months during the year here in Utah where you can have an outdoor concert. You know, when it starts getting cold in the winter, that there's not going to be any concerts out there. So if we're going to own it as taxpayers, can we put a retractable roof on that baby? Okay. Now, <laughs> that would be so expensive. It would also be the right decision. We, we should absolutely have that because, again, I, it's probably absolutely impossible to do. It would be far too cost prohibitive. Uh, in the design, you'd lose a lot of what makes that stadium amazing. This open air, you see the mountains. But you can leave it open when the weather's beautiful and close it in case you get one of those rare May snowstorms or downpours or it turns super cold and we want to host the World Series. If you could make the design work, it would be incredible. Well, we should do it up front. Uh, we shouldn't uh, light rail that plan, which I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, light rail is all ground level. And they talked about raising it above ground back mm-hmm. when they started constructing it. And then we just, uh, whoever the powers that be decided to keep it ground level. And that kind of becomes a pain, right? I mean, it's a Definitely. pain for cross traffic. It's a pain for when somebody doesn't see the train coming and they they pull in front of it, or we've had plenty of people accidentally step in front of it. So I've always felt like the light rail um, should have been built above ground, and they said, oh, it's going to cost so much more money. And, we, um, and I understand that. But some money up front means that you can use that venue, and since we're going to be the landlord, we're going to be the owner of it as taxpayers, wouldn't we want to get the most bang for our buck out of that venue? You would think, and that would be a great way to do it. Again, with concerts, just think of all the venues you've you've been at. Is that is that baseball stadium really built no. for concerts? Well, it's the, not. It's built Del- for baseball. And the Delta Center wasn't really even built for concerts. Now maybe they've retrofitted it a little bit. But back in the day, I used to go to concerts. And be like, I can't hear them. Yeah, <laughs> I can't hear what they're what they're saying. The new sound system's way better. Yeah, for it's sure. probably a lot better now. I haven't been over there since the Jimmy Buffett concert, and and for some reason I ended up accidentally with really good seats. <laughs> and you still couldn't <laughs> I, hear them. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, where do you want to take me away to? Jimmy and I are both getting a little older, so that could have been part of the problem, too. (laughs) But you really feel like this MLB thing is a good deal because we're going to own it. Okay, (laughs) I I do. I I think that's the fact that we own the stadium. We still own the land. Do I have a lot of trust that we're going to be able to optimize that and and use it? And will it pay for itself? No, but there's more to the investment than than just building a ballpark. It's it's bringing a community together. It's bringing a major league uh, team there. There's a lot of wins here. So lawmakers look like they're set to pass both funding packages this week. They've got five days left in the legislative session. And this Senate President Stuart Adams telling Utah Morning, Utah's Morning News this. Yeah, we're, we're, those are two big items that are left. And I think we're going to probably get both of them done. We're going to get those across the end zone. And, uh, again, couldn't be more excited to have Major League Sports coming to Utah. It speaks so highly of what we're doing. So do you agree with Dave's take? The MLB stadium, the fact that we are going to own that stadium, does that make you feel better about funding using taxpayer resources? You know, it's the hotel tax and tourists are paying for it. 
Uh, does it make you feel better about spending a billion dollars on a ballpark? 801-575-TALK. 801-575-TALK. Uh, taking your live calls next. Dave Indigenovic. Dave Indigenovic. Special coverage of the top local story. It's a story everybody's talking about. Um, the billion dollars for an NHL arena, the billion dollars uh, for an MLB stadium. The idea that taxpayers would own a major league ballpark makes Dave feel okay with it. 801-575-TALK, 801-575-TALK. Do you agree with Dave on this one? I think it's unique. I think it's unique that we build it and then we own it. Typically what happens, and and this has happened across the United States in a million different different ways. In fact, uh, I've seen research um, that shows that we've paid $33 billion in public funds to build stadiums over the last 30 or 40 years here in – $33 Thirty-three billion wow. in public funds. That's taxpayer money. Uh, yeah, wow. and and remember, back in the seventies, we or I I look back over at the the Delta Center. That wasn't a billion dollar arena for the Jazz. That was over a hundred million dollars, but a, a fraction of the cost of what it costs now. So it really paints the picture of the scope. This is what happens if a major league team, whether it's Baseball, football, basketball, when they come to a city, typically what happens is is exactly what is happening right now in the sense that they get the owners get huge discounts, huge subsidies, lending, uh, tax deferments. They get all of this stuff to build the stadium. And then here's the hook. They usually own the stadium. The owner does. The billion, The billionaire owner also owns the stadium that the city built. What's unique about this proposal is the billionaire owner wouldn't own the Major League Baseball stadium. The state would. David, how do you feel about that? You're calling us from West Valley City. Let's think about what's out in West Valley City. You've got the Maverick Center there. You've got USANA Amphitheater. Uh, how do you feel about uh, you know residents of Utah owning a Major League Baseball park in Salt Lake City? Uh, let's get real about free enterprise. I'm sorry, we must have lost David's call. Okay, uh, let's move on. Um, let's. I've got a ton of uh, feedback, Dave. On my, I posted this on Twitter last night. X, excuse me, sorry, Elon X, and I got a ton of feedback on it. And I asked, I mean, are we okay with this? A billion dollars here, a billion dollars there, and mind you, we haven't even talked about the billion dollars that we uh, will have to spend to build the gondola, Dave, of yes. Little Cottonwood Canyon. That's another billion dollars. That is the new price tag if you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I thought it was only about $800 million. Desert News is reporting that price tag's gone up to a billion dollars since we first started talking about the gondola. Yeah, originally I, I think we were looking at three to five hundred million, then it crept up to seven twenty five. I didn't I didn't realize we're at a billion now. Yeah, it's so the question is, what are we investing in? And why are we investing in that kind of stuff? On my Twitter feed, X, sorry Elon, Jacob says job creation. Uh, lawmakers are supporting job creation with these two uh, pro um, facilities. So Major League Baseball uh, would bring in a new power district, some uh, new housing, new restaurants, a a boardwalk 
that's supposed to rival uh, the Riverwalk in San Antonio, Texas, um, along the Jordan River. I've got to... I feel like I should be flying to San Antonio just to remind myself of what that river walk looks like and to see if we could rival that along the Jordan River. But Jacob says job creation. Job creation on a couple different levels. Number one, just the building alone. Uh, the Miller Group ha- has estimated that the power district would be a $3.5 billion investment. So all of that money, all of that building, that's going to go to local contractors. It's going to be a, a huge boon. Now, that that's short-term. Right? That's only for a few years once they get built. But then you have all the jobs that are created from that area. Um, and let's remember, this is going to be funded through um, a hotel tax uh, increase on a hotel room stay, which is going to be, work out to be about a buck fifty. Um for every $100 you spend, you drop on a hotel room anywhere in the state. So speaking of anywhere in the state, on my X feed, Dave Wendover Will says, this is very forward thinking, finally something worthwhile from the legislature. So he he, he really likes this plan. Um, the other, I don't know, this is a Twitter handle I can't read. The other um, comments I'm getting are, no, no, they don't want it. No issue with the hotel taxes. Visitors who may be coming to town to watch those sports should help support it. Well, okay, but you're talking about small town Utah, too. And tomorrow when we are live uh, in the power district or soon to be power district area, we're going to be broadcasting live from the Utah State Fair Park, which is right in that area. Uh, We are working to get a small town mayor or county commissioner on the air with us to find out how they feel. We want to check their pulse, how they feel about collecting the hotel increase in the hotel tax in their community and then sending it on up to the Wasatch Front, specifically to Salt Lake City. The real question I have with taxes, if you're raising taxes, and in this case specifically, do you think that extra buck fifty or three to five dollars, whatever it might end up being with a little hotel stay, do you think that's deterring anybody on earth from staying in your place? Staying at your hotel. They won't even notice it. They, of course they wouldn't notice it. They w- It would just be like, oh, that's just one of those fees that we the pay. The other issue, though, is that if you're in those communities and you're collecting that money, you want to be able to enjoy the, the stadium, the, the atmosphere, benefits. and the benefits yeah. of it. But you're going to have to, I don't know, how far is it, and a three-hour drive? If you've ever driven through Daggett County, wow, that's quite the drive. Um, Mike says, uh, Allegiance Stadium in Las Vegas. And then he said, Utah is drunk. So he said, at $1.9 billion, Allegiant Stadium is the second most expensive stadium in the world. Taxpayers shouldered $750 million of the cost of construction there. The so stadiums get, have get, been very expensive. And they balloon. They balloon. They that's grow. what happened with the gondola. And you have, that's a great point. You also have maintenance cost. If you're the owner, then anything that goes wrong, you're the landlord. Now, the expectation is that the Major League Baseball team would lease that out for $150,000 a month. Now, that might sound like a lot. Well, over 30 years, that only creeps up to over $50 million. This is a billion dollar. Mm-hmm. Or, or, so we're trying you know, to recoup that. Yeah. It, we're not doing it through leases. Yeah. We're yeah. not doing it through the Major League Baseball lease. Not at $150,000 a month. Um, so let's take the NHL... Let's just call it the NHL tax and the MLB tax. Let's take those 
And then we're going to work that into some fuzzy math next. <laughs> I'm going to do the math. I know that gets really scary when I say that. So, uh, you know, we're upping, lawmakers are planning to up taxes over here and over there and then lowering taxes over here. So before you bite off on the rhetoric of tax cuts uh, this week, as they wrap up the legislative session, I'll tell you why you need to hold your horses next. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dujanovic. Parlaying our discussions from earlier in this hour about an increase in taxes for an NHL arena and then also an increase in taxes for an MLB stadium in both in Salt Lake City. I want to talk about why we have to hold our horses just a bit when we hear that lawmakers are going to be cutting the state income tax rate because the cut is very slight and I think we're going to pay for it in other ways. We're going to, they're going to more than make up for it. It's like nothing in life is free. And make no mistake about it, uh, Dave, that lawmakers are doing the income tax cut to keep up with the Joneses. And what I mean by that is that there are dozens, a dozen and a half other states uh, that have been cutting rates and income tax, don't have an income tax, and we are trying to keep up with them. That is true. I, I think there is this sense the governor has been very clear where he wants to get rid of the income tax altogether. But that's $8 billion. We bring in $8 billion a year an income tax. So, yeah, this is a 0.1% decrease. Mm -hmm. But over the last three years, we're over a billion dollars in tax cuts. Mm -hmm. I think it's $1.3 billion over the last three years. So it's not much right now today, but when you look over the last three years, four years, then you're starting to save some real money every year. So all of this will happen uh, within the next five days. So they've got until Friday midnight to get things done. I don't know, 11.59. And the income tax rate, you said it, uh, is 4.65% to 4.55%. So I tried to figure out what that would mean in terms of money back in our pockets. How much does that mean for me? And I thought, I couldn't figure it out. I just, it to me, it's just fuzzy math when it comes to this income tax cut and what it means to an individual family. So I started looking at the different news stories, Dave, that have been covered about this. And KSL TV just a few weeks ago reported that it was unclear how much a typical Utah family would see in savings from the proposed tax cut. I'm quoting right from their article online because uh, Utah Tax Commissioner John Valentine told uh, Channel 5 News that's all being still calculated out. So it's still really fuzzy as to how much this is actually going to save us. I know you're saying, well, over the last several years, we've had several. And it is better than raising taxes, right? It's been better saying, oh, better than saying we're we're increasing our income tax. But they have to do this. Our backs are against the wall up there because people are starting to look at places around the country where income taxes won't cost them as much out of their paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Let's if we're talking fuzzy math, let's just do some rough math right now. Let's say you spend $4,000 a year in state income tax. Let's just say $4,000. Well, 0.1% saves you $4. (laughs) 
I mean, it, am I supposed to jump up and I'll get no, excited of about course that? Not. <laughs> the yeah. look on your face is like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on, be thrilled. Come on. Oh, but if if we're trying to wean ourselves off of income tax over the next ten or twenty years, then you know it's not ripping the bandaid off. It's not ripping the Band-Aid off all at once. So this is why I wanted to talk about this. And before we get excited about the rhetoric coming from some lawmakers about tax cuts uh, and incentives, for example, the, the child tax credit has been will be expanded this session to now include four-year-olds. Before we get really very excited about all of that, I want to recognize the flip side of this. Uh, there's, uh, they want to cut the food tax, or they'll allow us to cut the food tax at the grocery store. But they're dangling this carrot. That's only if we change the Constitution to allow for income tax, the revenue they bring in on Capitol Hill, to be spent outside of public education. And then if we approve that in November, we talked about this a lot last week, then we can then in turn get rid of the statewide food tax. But that's just the state portion. There'll still be a a, a local yeah. tax on food, and it's not everything in the grocery store anyway. It's only certain items that are taxed. So you did the math on this last week. It's really a very nominal savings per month. Although it, any savings is good, it's very nominal. Well, I I think we need to be very careful about. I I, I would say in general, any savings is good if it's a significant savings. Right, one dollar, like this four dollars, yeah, that the proposed tax cut—that's not a significant savings. That's a rounding error. That—that's not even a rounding error. That's a nothing. That's a nothing. But you said last week the food tax was like four bucks a week. Maybe it is four dollars a week. If you're and 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 here's here's the shocker, it's four dollars a week, assuming you spend a thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm. on food. So if you're, you know. All the single ladies out there, you're not, you're, and you're paying, <laughs> spending three hundred dollars a month or two hundred fifty dollars a month on, on food at the grocery store. Then it's one dollar yeah. a week. Yeah. So it, so at most now I'm saving eight bucks. It sounds good. Month. It's sure it sounds good. We shouldn't tax food. That sounds good. It doesn't actually do good if we're thinking, if we're trying to make the argument that four dollars a week spending. $246 instead of $250 a week on groceries moves the needle at all. And I think it's crucial that we address that head on and say, okay, does it sound good? Because every time we talk to a politician, what do they say? Oh, what we're hearing from people is this would make a difference. They're not breaking it down. I've yet to meet anyone that, that says, oh yeah, I'm, I'm spending $250 a, a month on food, that extra dollar would make a difference. I need that buck back. Yeah, no, no one. That'll get me out of the no jam one can, I'm in. Yeah. It is intellectually uh, impossible to make that leap. On the flip side, even more, let, we're now on the flip side. We're talking about the rhetoric that we often hear from lawmakers, and we'll hear a lot about this this week about the income tax cut, uh, the expansion of the child tax credit to four years old for $1,000 up to four years old. Um, But on the flip side of it, you know, we're still paying for the food tax and we may still be paying for that food tax after November if we don't, if voters don't approve the constitutional amendment that's needed to get rid of it. We're also looking at a hike in the hotel room tax uh, to help fund 
a major league ballpark. And also they've thrown in there a car rental tax as well. So a little bit more on car rentals. So tourists shouldering it, sure, if you don't do a staycation, right? And you're going to be shouldering it if you do a staycation in Utah. Lots of places that we can all go visit and stay in town, and then we'll be shouldering some of that. And then there's that NHL arena that would be funded through a sales tax increase uh, in Salt Lake City from 7.75% to 8.25%. So Salt Lake City residents, you're buying your stuff in the Salt Lake City area, you're going to be paying more in sales tax. Yeah, for every $100, you'll pay, what, an extra 50 cents? Uh, Again, these are... Forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, it, it is forever, but it's 50 cents. For every $100. Is it worth it having a professional team here? I think it remains to be seen. We can say yes, but there's plenty of... Ask Oakland. Yeah. You know, ask Seattle how the Supersonics went. They go bye-bye, right? They They, can. They can pack them up and leave. Absolutely, they can. But also, imagine, if we didn't have the Utah Jazz, I would cry my eyes out. (laughs) Uh, Nikki Haley heading to Utah this week. We're going to go in-depth in our 10 o'clock hour uh, after her South Carolina loss. What's on the horizon uh, for Nikki Haley? Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and DeGenovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, the race for the White House. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Well, it looks like Republicans are trying to set themselves up for a rematch against President Joe Biden because uh, Nikki Haley's home state is South Carolina. She was elected uh, twice there as governor. Uh, just sent a staggering message to her campaign that they want, we want Donald Trump. Yep. That's South Carolinans saying that. That's, that's a quote. <laughs> Haley lost uh, in a landslide. Uh, he Trump got 60% of the vote and Haley got 40%. In part, what makes this such a devastating loss for Haley, number one, like this is where she grew up. Mm-hmm. Right. I I'd like to think that if I ran for president, I'd win Kaysville. Like, <laughs> you know, you'd think a little loyalty would lie. Like, you know what? He's one of our guys. We're going to back him even if we don't vote. Yeah. So, yeah, she lost her home state. She grew up in Bamberg, South Carolina. Mm. So, again, what makes this devastating is losing your home state. But she's also not getting anything from Donald Trump. She keeps trying to engage him, trying to get him to to debate her. Mm. But he is basically ignoring her at every turn. Here's ABC News. He is laser focused on this general election. He mentioned President Biden multiple times. The former president did not mention Nikki Haley. I mean, it shows you really where his perspective is at this point after she lost to him in both Iowa and New Hampshire. It's dismissive, and it's effective, and it has been effective. Trump hasn't debated once, and his popularity keeps growing. He just ignores. 
be president. I know it very well. Wrong, the wrong thought process, the wrong policy. And honestly, she's not tough enough. She's not tough enough. Well, there he just addressed her. Yeah, you'll get a little one-liner here and there. But, it, but you know, that was a, a few weeks ago. But after he won South Carolina, it was obvious. He just, he wouldn't even mention her. He was talking about Biden the whole time. She's been getting harsher, though, of a criticism of Donald Trump. Yes. You know? Specifically, uh, when he said that blacks have embraced his mugshot more than anyone else, I I heard this over and just thought, "What? Stop talking! Just stop talking!" Uh, he said because they could sympathize with his indictments. It's just it was just a horrible statement. It was I just felt embarrassed for the man standing up there saying these things. Uh, let's listen. It's disgusting, but that's what happens when he goes off the teleprompter. That's yep. the chaos that comes with Donald Trump. That's the offensiveness that's going to happen every day between now and the general election, which is why I continue to say Donald Trump cannot win a general election. And that, when we look at the polls, has has proven out to be the case uh, on some level. It's closer. It's closer than it should be. Because if you do a head-to-head Trump versus Biden, every poll says no Americans want this. They don't want it to happen. But if it were to happen, Trump does have a small lead on Biden right now. But if you do head-to-head Biden versus Nikki Haley, she beats Biden by over 10 points. Yeah, she crushes him. She crushes him Mm -hmm. in the general election. And that is what Nikki Haley is trying to tell voters right now. It's like, if you want the White House... If the Republicans want the White House, you better shake up the plan. It's it's possible for Trump to win the White House, is the message from Haley. It's guaranteed if it's me. So do you want the possibility that Joe Biden will still be your president for another four years? Or do you want the guarantee that it's me, Nikki Haley? Now, South Carolina had this open primary, and that meant that Democrats and independents could vote uh, in the primary. And in fact, very few Democrats and independents voted in the Democratic primary. I think it was uh, Boyd mentioned this to us last week. It was just 4%. So essentially, the entire state of South Carolina was at the polls on Saturday. <laughs> you know, traditionally a non work day. So plenty of time to go to the polls on a Saturday um, or get their, their ballots in. Um, They could either vote for Trump or for Haley. And this is where her loss has a silver lining. 300,000 people in South Carolina voted for her. Now, Trump won by 20 points, but Trump only got 450,000. Among independents, it was actually Haley by 25 points. So it's one thing to win in the Republican primary. It's another to start to look to a general election when you need to attract independent voters. That's Trump's problem right now. And this is, I think, a telling question. 60% of the voters in South Carolina in the Republican primary said Trump would still be fit to be president if he's convicted of a crime. But that's 36% who say that he wouldn't be fit. So think about that. That's more than a third of voters, not just independents. Those are some core Republicans who say Trump would not be fit to serve if he is convicted, a very real possibility, before November. So Haley has clear crossover appeal. And maybe it was a protest vote against Trump in, in this primary that they're just voting for Haley, that they would have no no real uh, inclination in a general election to vote for Haley. Maybe that is just a kind of smoke and mirrors. 
where Democrats and independents just wanted to say anyone but Trump. But that being said, again, it, it looks like Haley has far more crossover appeal than Trump. Do we know um, how the Republican vote split between Trump and Haley in South Carolina? Let's let's look into that because we're going to keep talking about this. Like how the Republican, if we have that data, I'd like to know. Because when I first see these numbers, when uh, Nikki Haley gets 40% of the vote in South Carolina and then Trump gets 60%, I don't know how many of those uh, 40% were Democrats and independents that went to Haley or went for Trump. We do know that only 4% of Democrats and independents um, voted in their primary, in the in the Democratic primary. But we don't know how those numbers really shook out because I'm feeling like the Republican Party is split. There's a lot of Republicans out there who don't want to have anything to do with President Trump at all. They uh, former President Trump. They 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 are they are now you said they're never well, Trumpers. Yeah, they're never Trumpers. They don't want to back. They recognize that he's uh, in over his head financially now with all of these fines that the you know court is looking at even seizing his assets, and they recognize that he is facing uh, multiple counts involving election uh, fraud issues, uh, and he's preoccupied with his legal battles, and they may get they're probably going to get worse before they get better, and they, you know, so I think in my view when I'm looking at this twenty sixty forty split. Uh, in the primary from South Carolina, I got to know what percentage of, of of Republicans went with with Haley and what percentage of Republicans went with Trump. A lot of Republicans feel that all the things you listed, the financial problems, the being sued, uh, being under indictment, all of these things are because he is running for president. They're trying to keep him out of it in any way they can. Uh, a lot of Republicans feel that way. They feel like he's being targeted specifically, not because uh, this is just an execution of justice, but because they're trying to get rid of Donald Trump. Uh, well, come on, though. I mean, this fraud that's been going on in with his uh, business in New York was planted many, many years ago. And the prosecution played that out in court and explained it all. So now what? They're coming in at, oh, poor Donald He's the victim. Well, it was one single judge. This was a judge ruling. This That's was a bench ruling. That's what they ruling. decided to do, though. Yeah. That's what his team decided to do, is uh, not have a jury trial. And they decided to go with the, you know, with the with the judge. And that's what they, that's how it played out. Uh, and he now owes over $355 million in that case alone. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about this with Boyd Matheson in the 11 o'clock hour as well. We also know Nikki Haley is planning a trip. Uh, for this week, to Utah Valley University, uh, we're going to talk to um, uh, Ali Isom, who has been in Haley's camp from from almost the beginning. So she's going to call the show, um, former Senate uh, candidate for Utah. Ali Isom will be calling the show in the 11 o'clock hour as well. Uh, next, interest rates creeping up. Uh, I thought they were going to flatten out, but they are creeping up again. And in fact, um, new home builders are offering some really good incentives right now for you to get into one of their homes. Volatility and interest rates where they go from 6.5% to 7.5% in one month, that really prices people out. 
David Nujanovic. David Nujanovic. Priced out. Housing. Special coverage with David Nujanovic. House prices back up. Uh, interest rates are back up. It's like we're getting kicked in the teeth twice. Median home price uh, in January in Utah was four hundred eighty-five thousand um, dollars, which is right where it was at in October and November of last year. But we are expecting those prices to inch back up uh, once spring hits. Interest rates on new mortgages back up around seven percent, Dave. Yeah, we were we were seeing a good trend. Inflation was coming down, and then last month inflation had a small little uptick. Now it's half a percent, but it was still the wrong direction. When we had seen, you know, record inflation just, you know, over a, a year ago, a year and a half ago. And we've been bringing it down, we've been bringing it down, and then this little mm-hmm. uptick, I think we're starting to see, okay, there's there's still some problems with inflation, with interest rates, and then Overall, just the price of everything. Well, this makes me so sad for home buyers, for first-time home buyers. When you think things are going to level out just a little bit, maybe there's some incentives out there. But you look at the cost of a house, and you you multiply out what the mortgage interest is, and it just it feels hopeless again. We're right back where we were, and it's maddening. Um, and we all have kids that are, want to stay in Utah. At least some of our kids do. And it's financially unaffordable for them to get out of renting or get out of our basement and get into a new home or a home. When you look at a home around $500,000, which is about the median price for a home, the Ken C. Gardner Institute has done some incredible research on this. And they found that as a household, you need to bring in somewhere between one hundred and thirty dollars and $160,000 a year to be able to afford that very home. So if you're not making $130,000 to $150,000, then being a homeowner is not in the cards. Oh, even at that, you're going to be house broke because chances are if you're getting a house right around uh, half a million dollars, it needs work unless it's a town home and it's brand new. But if you're buying a home on a lot, I'm going to bet it still has the avocado green toilet. It still has the pink tile from the 50s. It needs a new roof. So you mentioned Kempsey Gardner Institute. Uh, Dayon Eskich, who's going to join us in just a minute live, he spoke with KSL News Radio's Don Brinkerhoff. And Don filed this report on Utah's Morning News this morning. Dayon blames interest rates for causing the, the housing shortage. All of last year, we've had interest rate growth. We peaked at the end of October by just touching 8%. We came down to about 6.5%, but then still have persistent inflation, and the latest numbers were a little bit higher than people were comfortable with. So the Treasury markets went up again, and that brought the mortgage rates back up to just over 7% again. So where are we settling in? Are we settling in right in that 6.5%, 7%? And how long will that go? Because that really determines whether or not I'm going to be able to get into a home. And I think so many of us are, are hoping for the days of 3% or 4%. But 
it doesn't look like those days are coming anytime soon. Okay, and he also said that um, housing prices won't come down anytime soon. Every time we get low interest rates, when does it happen? It happens when economic conditions are bad. It happened during the great financial crisis. It happened during COVID. But for prices to come down, we have to have a glut of new inventory. For that to happen, people have to lose their home. How does a person lose their home? They lose their job. They can't make the monthly payments. Our home prices, for lack of a better word, this year have stayed relatively flat. We've seen $10,000 swings up or down, but they've remained relatively flat. Volatility in interest rates where they go from 6.5% to 7.5% in one month, that really prices people out. And in part why we're not seeing any of these home prices come down is because if I buy a home for half a million dollars, and then I put $50,000 in renovations to remove the avocado green yeah. toilet and the pink. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm ever going to sell that home for less than five fifty or five twenty five, whatever it might be. So that, that will never come down. You're never going to willingly take a loss. You'll just sit on that house. Well, I think this is also stifling people like you who kids are growing up. Um, you're almost an empty nester. Yeah. You could think about downsizing, but if you're going to have a mortgage payment on the next home you buy, you've got a couple of things uh, working against you. First of all, home prices are outrageous. And second of all, why are you going to give up your 3% mortgage that you've locked in at four or five years ago uh, and traded in for more than double the mortgage rate? It was financially ridiculous. So what we have is just this a, a clog. We've got a clog in the avocado green toilet. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Nothing can move. Right? Eject on this visual, Deb. <laughs> well, nothing's moving. I mean, you're not going to sell. No. So, uh, uh, Well, and gonna... even even if I were to downsize to, say, a townhome. Yeah. Which right? I've been trying to talk you into yeah. for months now. Which I kind of get. It's I kind know. of intriguing. Here's the problem. I'm leaving that 3.5% interest that I've been loving sure. for so many years. Sure, why not? It's and, awesome. And so if I carry any kind of a mortgage, it'll be that 7%. But now, when you downside to these things, now you're dealing with HOA fees. Mm. Now you've got to pay for your streets to be plowed and your sidewalk to be shoveled. At least they get plowed. Or- yeah. <laughs> ours is pretty good okay. now, but but you can see right. that that's another layer that i have to account for and hoa fees sometimes they're modest maybe they're 50 dollars a month sometimes they're several hundred dollars a month how much does it cost you to replace that roof yeah okay thousands thousands and thousands of yeah, dollars thousands. okay i had a roof leak guess who fixed it HOA. HOA. They called them out. I didn't have to deal with it. I only had to let them in the house so they could get up in the attic. They were awesome. They fixed it. No, no more problems. So that that was. But HOA fees can go up well, over sure the years. Sure they can. Yeah. Sure they can. Mine have gone up about I think ten or twenty bucks a month. I haven't kept track. But um, I'm also not watering lawn. Okay. When I was living up in Cottonwood Heights. Yeah. You know. It's just not the, a the slam dunk, right? I mean, it's just yeah. not as it's not as easy. I know we're getting you have into to the, take into account all of this. The, stuff. This is where our discussions go all the time. When I try to tell Dave, you know, get rid of the house, like live a little, move man. on. Yeah, you know, don't worry about having to replace that entire sprinkler system. Just disclose that it has leaks all over the place, and then get a new place. Um, so what we're looking at right now is, uh, interest rates going up and we asked, um, uh, Dayon, 
Eskich, I have a hard time with his last name. It's Dujanovic's hard to pronounce, too. Um, so Don Brinkerhoff asked Dayon um, if if there's a way to get a lower interest rate. And he's like, yep, there is a way. A lot of home builders have a lot of programs right now where they'll buy down your interest rate. I think most home builders in our market, they're offering interest rates in the fives. That's hmm. a huge discount when you think about what it. you think about fives? Yeah, fives are great. The, the thing to be very aware of is that is not a forever buy down. That is for maybe one or two years. I've seen some that are at three years. Uh, It's what they call a teaser rate. It's going to be amazing for the first year or two, but it usually gradually grows. So it might start at five. Next year, it'll be six. And then by year three, you're at the full seven. Or you could refinance it. Let's say home prices come down, or excuse me, uh, interest rates come down. Home prices probably aren't going to come down. Interest rates come down. And you can refinance it for even lower. But also refinancing kind of depends on the value of your home. If if your home value lowers, say it drops another 10, 20, you can't refinance. You're stuck. Or maybe you can only refinance up to 80%. So we've got the toilet clog again. So (laughs) Right back in it, yeah. It's very easy to say, and this was part of the problem back when the 2008 crash is they had these teaser rates that they were dealing with. And then when it came, the assumption was that they were going to be able to refinance easily. They were not able to refinance. So now you're paying a much higher mortgage rate Mm -hmm. and people were defaulting on their loans. So I take it you're not all in on the teaser rate. No. It It would scare you. It scares me. I'm a big locked-in run guy. I'm a locked-in, let me know exactly what I'm going to pay. See, and I'm I'm the opposite. I would I would take the teaser rate. You'll roll the dice. I would I would roll the dice. Um, but we're gonna get more next uh, when we talk live today. On uh, he's calling us from the Kempsey Gardner Institute. Um, let's ask him if he thinks it's worth the gamble. Maybe he can bring out his crystal ball and tell us where interest rates are uh, projected to go. I don't want to put him on the spot, but that would sure be nice. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Priced out, housing special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. We're talking about the median price for a home uh, in January in Utah's two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars, and interest rates um, are also creeping back up. So it's a double whammy once again. And in a moment, we're going to speak live to an expert on Utah's housing market about these incentives uh, that home builders are offering new buyers. And I think if you're a homeowner right now, we've seen such volatility over the last several years where our home prices have skyrocketed. And I know for myself, I was always wondering, okay, is it is it going to come back down in a significant way? Because over the last five years, my my home price has doubled in value. So I thought, okay, that's that's overly optimistic. It's not going to stay doubled, is it? But I've seen it mm-hmm. over the last year stay steady. It's really tough for first-time home buyers, or if you're in a home with a 3 3.5% interest rate, maybe it's even a little lower, uh, to, 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 to downsize. To downsize. It's, you know especially if you're going to have a mortgage on the new place you're buying. Uh, let's get with Don Brinkerhoff, who has been looking into this uh, in the newsroom for us. And then in a moment, we'll have uh, our live conversation with Dayon.
Dayan Eskic with the Kimsey Gardner Policy Institute says there are ways to get a lower rate. A lot of home builders have a lot of programs right now where they'll buy down your interest rate. I think most home builders in our market, they're offering interest rates in the fives. That's a huge discount when you think about it. He says unless there's an economic downturn and people start losing their jobs, home prices won't be coming down anytime soon because the only way prices are going to come down is if the supply goes way up, and that won't happen as long as people are paying their bills. Don Brinkerhoff, KSL News Radio. What about building? Can we build enough? Because perhaps that's the other aspect of this that, that intrigues me. Dayon Eskich joins us right now with Ken C. Gardner Policy Institute. And Dayon, is there a way to build our way out of this, or is it going to require people losing their jobs and defaulting on their homes and getting evicted? Yeah, let's avoid the latter. Yeah, yeah, and for think, sure. And I think we will. You know, the challenge is supply. And, you know, this is a problem decades in the making with the last great financial crisis and what it really did to the construction industry. We cannot build at the capacity that we were used to. We could do it with apartments. And what we're seeing with apartments right now is we're getting a glut of supply and we're seeing rents drop and we're seeing incentives being offered, you know, a month or two free of rent. Right. So we're seeing that supply and demand in action where supply for the first time, what it feels like in decades has outpaced demand on the apartments. On the, you know, for sale side, it's a complete different story, as, well, as you just mentioned. Well, let's talk about the for sale side and these incentives that builders are offering. Has your research shown that most of them are now offering these uh, discounted mortgage rates to get buyers in? And and how long do those rates last? Do you have any any insight on that day day on? Yeah, it really depends on the builder. And so you could drive up and down Wasatch Front, you know, go on your website and see where all the new new communities are. And everybody's offering some sort of uh, rate buy down. Um, some are able to do the 30 year fixed mortgage rate. It depends on the type of house you buy. Right. So, you, you know, you, you can lock it in at below 6 percent for 30 years. Some are offering what's called a variable rate. So they, they will buy your interest rate down to a sub six and then in two in five years it increases to whatever the market rate is right so, but the purpose of it is to eliminate the volatility that we are seeing in the mortgage market like you know we saw from a month ago mortgage rates are up almost a percentage point so so that wreaks havoc on 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 potential buyers but also builders because as you, if anybody has ever had experience building their own home you know it's it's not mm-hmm. like you go today and you'll you'll get your financing it takes six months to, to get your home and with mortgage rates being so unpredictable who knows if you're going to be able to close by the time you get to june right so so that that's limited the way builders build especially today so we have less supply as a result one of the things that makes me a little nervous about some of these teaser rates, you know, where the first year, two, three are are at a discounted price and then they gradually grow up is we kind of assume, oh, well, when it hits 7%, then we just refinance. But we've had mm-hmm. such incredible growth in value of our home. If that slows down, then refinancing does not become the, the rubber stamp that we might assume it, it would be. Right, and and that's a great point, and that that is that was sort of the initial rabbit hole that led us to the great financial crisis, and we had literally no lending standards. 
the the way lenders lend money today on 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 this variable rate product is very stringent. So when when they look at a potential uh, applicant, they make sure that they can cover any of those I- increasing monthly payments. So 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 th- that part of it is very sound. Um, and you know on, on the value, for example, if we look at Utah, if we go back all the way to 1970 and we look at home price data, every seven years, our home prices have increased about 50%. You know, that, that's what the ups and downs. Some years we've had zero, right? But some years we've had close to 100% that we, you know, that's what we're living in right now over that seven-year cycle. So, you know, history tells us going forward that growth is going to come to Utah. It's going to keep coming. Even if we don't have anybody moving in, we're, we're going to keep growing. It's, it's our nature. So that's going to continue to put prices on housing, especially now when we're not building enough. So really, you know, for values to drop, you have to have a glut of supply. And, and that's where the, the risk is, right? If we, if we have a big financial crisis and people lose their jobs, then you will get supply. But you know, the odds of that happening currently are very, very low. Dayon Eskich is with the Kempsey Gardner Institute, uh, Policy Institute at the University of Utah. One final question. we got about 30 seconds. Uh, what's your crystal ball say about interest rates? You uh, Are they going to stay where they're at or are they going to dip? We, we expect them, you know, the whole market expects them to dip, but there is volatility on, on, on the dipping uh, <laughs> trajectory. So that's part of the problem. It's the volatility. You know, we'll we'll come back down, but it'll just be volatile on the way down. Dayan, thank you for taking the time. Uh, Very fascinating. And I think kind of optimistic. I'm I'm feeling a little more optimistic after we had this conversation. So thank you. (laughs) Did you say you're a little more? A little more. A little more optimistic. Yeah. Good. The the fact that the economy is so so strong, Mm -hmm. uh, the flip side of this is in all the polling, economists say the economy is strong, job numbers are good, uh, but the problem is we are still dealing with the fact that, that inflation has smacked us in the face, and and we're dealing with this new price point where things just cost a lot more than we're used to. Um, next, we're going to talk about quiet firing. We've heard of quiet quitting. This is quiet firing, the things that some bosses are doing to manipulate their workforce into saying, I'm done. Please fire me. Next. Dave, Dave and DeGenevic. We've heard of quiet quitting. Um, that's where, you, you know, you quit your job. You're not really all there, but you're still employed. You're still cashing a paycheck, <laughs> but you're mailing it in. That's right. That's a good way of putting it. Well, let's talk about quiet firing. Um, we're reading uh, new information that uh, companies are getting rid of their work-from-home options. And this could be um, by design to make those who want, don't want to RTO, you know what the new acronym is, uh, return to office, quit so they can thin out the workforce. Let's talk about that, Dave. You were, you were a work-from-homer for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, not by my choice. Uh, I was sent home well, it was for COVID. You or me. Yeah, it was, and I had all the kids, so I had all the germs apparently. So uh, yeah, I was the guy that got voted uh, off the island. So I was broadcasting from home for about sixteen months, and 
when I came back, it was a relief. In fact, I, if I were given the option right now to work remotely or come into the office and, and work at the office, even with a 30-minute commute each way, I would work in the office, definitely. So you didn't mind the RTO order? No. In fact, I was waiting for it. And I think maybe that's a little bit of the difference in, in this conversation is employees that come back willingly and employees that are forced to come back. And, and that's where you see a real deviation. People that are forced to come back, they were working remotely, that loved mm-hmm. it, uh, and they're forced to come back to the office, they're very unhappy about it. So here's what quiet firing is. Instead of layoffs... Quite a few companies um, have been trying to figure out ways um, to turn their workforce without saying you're fired. And one of the ways they're doing this is um, by making people come back into the office, pushing workers out of the job. So saying, you know, they're they're willingly quitting and moving on so employers don't have to put out pink slips. And not only... Pink slips, it's it's more than just the pink slips. If you quit your job, you're not necessarily entitled uh, to to the benefits. You're not entitled to uh, work, um, what is it, workers in, or what's it called? Workers in, workers it's not comp? workers comp, but well, uh, unemployment insurance. Oh, there you go. So Sorry, you're not, Dave, I was looking for the word for you. I couldn't yeah, it. Yeah, you know, the, the, the hamsters were running. They were running fast <laughs> trying to get there. Like, we're going to get there. It's Monday. But also, you know, sometimes there's compensation once you get fired. You know, maybe there's six months of severance. When you quit, then they're not on the hook for that. You know, you don't, you don't say, hey, here's my two weeks. I need six months of, of severance, by the way. So- Companies do, and this is kind of what I see here, they're trying to make it a little uncomfortable. They're trying to make you quit, make it as miserable as possible, because then they're not on the hook for all the bennies. So um, here's some other ways they're doing it. Uh, More stringent performance reviews if you stay at home. So if they give you an option of hybrid work, one of the things these companies are doing, again, this is according to Business Insider, by the way. I didn't give credit where credit is due. This article comes to us from Business Insider, um, is by by making you uh, more accountable for what you're actually doing um, at home. And I think this has been a problem from the beginning with the work from home strategy to dis- socially distanced and by the way, uh, I thought the pandemic was over a couple of years ago. So I, I guess I wasn't, uh, I didn't have enough forethought to think that we we're going to still be uh, hybrid working or remote working at the volume that we are. And I think for those who have stayed in the office, I'll put myself in that same category. You can't help but wonder after a while, what are y'all doing at home? I mean, our, our, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think, you know, I certainly know like our reporters, our photographers here in the, they're out doing stories. I see their product at the, at the five and the six and the 10 o'clock news. I see what they're doing. But I think there's a lot of other people that don't have that type of end of day product that they have to deliver that we can all see where the people at, at the office are feeling, uh, you know, an extra burden or questioning what's actually going on at home. So 
it's because we don't have a lot of trust in, in, our, in our, our, co-workers. Our, our coworkers. Well, apparently the bosses is who, are, who are saying like, look, if you don't want to come back to the office, one of the things they're doing is they're cracking down on at-home work to make sure they're getting, you know, everybody who's at home is all in. Yeah. And that, I don't think, it is controversial. They're, it shouldn't be. Because that's one of the benefits of working remotely is you may have to show your work a little bit more. You know how we do that with our kids' homework and math. It's like it's not just about getting the right answer. Go ahead and show me your work. Let me just make sure that you're not cheating. Let's make sure that you're not doing the homework and just copying off your buddy's paper. Let's make sure we see the work that's being done. And I think this is that kind of uh that's it's a version of that. Dave and I talking about quiet firing. It's becoming a thing as return uh, to office orders are going out across the country, where more and more um, companies are calling workers back into the office space five days a week. They're not allowing for as much hybrid. That's kind of gone uh, away for a lot of companies, and they're demanding you return to work. Let's say they gave you the option to stay at home, Dave. I'm just going to bounce this off you, and they wanted to measure your keystrokes. Oh, no. are they? Are you needed to have um, a surveillance camera on you at all times? Yeah, these are some of the things that right. are being considered. Right, you know, measuring your keystrokes, keeping a camera on you, or regular check-ins, like a body cam, like yeah, the cops where you wear. don't get to check, you don't get to change the background in your, uh, you know, live meetings. Because you can do that now, right? You can yeah. look like you're sitting in an uh, an office somewhere. Or you can make it look like you're sitting, or you can blur it, where you actually have to have regular check-ins with a boss to make sure your performance is top-notch. If you've got nothing to hide, then none of this is a problem. I love right? that. That's true. I love that take. If if you're trying to work the system or or not be fully transparent about it, okay, this then this could be a problem. You know, in part, let me let me just something I never did that I kind of wish I I would have during COVID. My in laws, my my in laws live up at Bear Lake mm-hmm. full time. I absolutely could have broadcasted from Bear Lake. It wouldn't have sounded any different. It wouldn't have been any different in any way. Why didn't I go up there and spend a week or two weeks up there? Let the family play around. I could broadcast. Oh, yeah. But it always felt a little iffy, like a little like like, Deb's back at the mothership. Yeah. (laughs) Deb's over here working and Dave's off having, you know, boat time. Yeah. As soon as as soon as work is off where that I think that's it's silly. Right. There's there would have been nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. No one's tracking what I do in my off time. The fact that I could do my job at Bear Lake as easily as I could in Kaysville it's just, it was suffering unnecessarily for the sake of suffering. Because I was. Because you were. Because <laughs> right? you love, had to come in. I love it. But had I been, you, had I been you, totally. You my vibe. But yeah. had I been totally open about it and told cool. my boss and told you yeah. and said, hey, guys, uh, would you care? Is that cool? You know, I'm sure you guys would have been. No, that's totally fine. There, no problem. I would have said yes, but yeah. then I would have been like. A little jealous. Get off the back of the jet yeah. ski, Dave. A little we can jealous. Tell. We can tell. Hey, uh, folks, don't forget, it's secret contest time. Uh, this is exclusively for our podcast listeners. So here's what you need to do. Find our show today at kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and listen for Dave's voice.
I'm going to give you a keyword. Take that keyword, send it to 57500, and you could win a pair of AirPod Pros. The nice ones. <laughs> Not the cheap ones you buy your kid for Christmas. These are the good ones. Hey, we've had some great content. We're going to continue to have great content tomorrow when we're broadcasting live from the Fair Park, talking about the new Power District and the billion-dollar plan for a brand-new ballpark. Straight ahead, Boyd Matheson. We're going to ask him the tough question. Nikki Haley took another loss over the weekend. Is it just hopeless, or is she waiting to get her lucky break? Next. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at 9. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and Dijanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and Dijanovic have inside sources. Well, the South Carolina primary sent Nikki Haley um, her fourth straight defeat to Donald Trump. Uh, in South Carolina on Saturday, she lost by 20 points. She came in third in Iowa behind Trump and DeSantis. Uh, made a respectable showing in New Hampshire, lost by 11 points. Nevada was ugly. Nevada was kind of a strange little thing. She didn't lose to Donald Trump, but to a little circle on the ballot that said, none of these candidates. There was none of these candidates. There was Nikki Haley and 65% of the people checked the box, none of these candidates. So now we go to her home state where she grew up, South Carolina, and she loses by 20 points. But she said, I'm still plowing ahead. I'm not dropping out. Boyd? Lots to unpack. <laughs> uh, so the interesting things in terms of uh, where she went, so one momentum is is the one thing. She's clearly playing off of that. She was down by 35 less than a week ago, so she closed the gap by uh, almost half. Uh, the most interesting thing to me, there were a couple of interesting things coming out of South Carolina. One was the number of people who had already made their decision of who they would vote for more than two months ago. More than two, 73% of the people who cast ballots in South Carolina said, I made my decision on who I'm going to vote for two months ago. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, mm-hmm. thing to look at. Uh, I think the fact that... Um, was it Nick, was that saying we're voting for either Haley or Trump? And it was it was they were done. done. Deal. They okay. were done. Uh, and the, of course, the majority of those went to, went to the former president. Now, the other interesting thing is that so if you go back to the general election in South Carolina, uh, Donald Trump won in 2016 against Hillary Clinton with about I think it was 56 percent of the vote. He won South Carolina in 2020 against Joe Biden with about the same, about 55 percent of the vote. So that's everybody voting. And now in a Republican primary, he only got to 59. That's an interesting story. Mm. And so if you unpack that a little bit in terms of where Nikki Haley won and what that plays like in places like Michigan and a lot of the others coming up on Super Tuesday, uh, if I was in the Nikki Haley camp, I'd say, oh, Look, we're resonating with the kind of voters that we're going to see on Super Tuesday. Uh, And so that's got to be part of their messaging rolling forward. And and I think the other part of the message is, look, 40 percent is not a united party. If you have another candidate who's getting 40 percent of the vote, you do not have a united 
Republican Party, which they clearly don't have. So I'm just looking at the AP story on this uh, posted about an hour ago, Boyd. It said uh, Trump um, won in South Carolina with voters who are white and do not have a college degree. One of his core uh, constituencies. Yeah. yeah. And, and really interesting to that same point. So if you it, when you ask those who cast a vote for President Trump uh, in South Carolina over the weekend, the number one factor, why did you choose this candidate to vote for? The only thing that mattered was someone who fights for people like me. Hmm. We've been having this discussion about the elites of the country and how people are tired of that. That's who showed up and voted in South Carolina. I mean, things like immigration and health care and the economy were in single digits. But these people are saying, I don't care about all the other stuff. I want someone who's going to fight for me. And so the former president's populist grievance message is continuing to play with that base voter there. Uh, and that's a that's a really fascinating thing because we know the American people ultimately would love to have, regardless of party, they would love a smart fighter in the White House. But what they really hate is smart wimps, especially elite smart wimps, yeah. which political consultants tend to turn candidates into. And in the absence of a smart fighter, the American people will take just a fighter. They'll take a dumb fighter. They'll take a populist fighter because they want to know someone's fighting for them. And that is clearly what played out in South Carolina over the weekend. 20 points is a blowout. No no question. But Nikki Haley still got over 300,000 votes. So is that the silver lining? Is you're still – I don't know. There's, there's no second place in this race, but – what, what can she build on with 300,000 votes? Yeah, so, so 40% of the party, again, I think that, that will be one thing she'll play off of. I think the other thing that she's going to play off of is, look, you've got uh, two potential candidates, uh, and, and if, even if you just take the one potential candidate in the former president, uh, it's one thing to win a primary in the spring. But to your point, Dave, there is no second place in the fall. You either win the general election or you don't. And every single poll shows right now that the Biden-Trump matchup is pretty much a dead heat. The Nikki Haley-Joe Biden matchup, Haley's winning by double digits. It's a blowout. It's a blowout. And so I think you'll hear the Haley campaign making more of that, that, look, uh, you can win all you want in the spring. (laughs) That's lovely. Uh, But it doesn't mean anything if you can't win on the first Tuesday of November. So I think you'll hear that as part of their silver lining message uh, as they move towards Super Tuesday. What is the biggest problem Republicans have with Nikki Haley then? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, And I think part of it is just the party. Uh, And I think you do have the establishment of the party. And here, this is the other very interesting twist, because the former president ran as the outsider in 2016. Not Washington, not politics, not elite guy. Uh, And he is the insider, He is the establishment now, and he's going into the Republican Party and putting in his own people into the Republican National Party. That's the ultimate in how establishment candidates run. And so I think you'll hear Nikki Haley talk about that as well, that, look, everyone thought you were getting this. We actually got this. And now you're going to get an establishment version of that. Is that really where we want to go? So I think that's the case she'll be making to the Republican Party is I'm the outsider. Uh, and it's time to the outsider to get back to those core principles uh, of the party. I want to touch on this too. It does seem like she's lost a, a powerful donor group, the 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 Coke group, 
The Coke outfit says it doesn't think any outside group can make a material difference in Haley's path to the Republican presidential nomination. The Haley campaign thanking the group and saying it received Sunday more than a million dollars from grassroots conservatives, calling it plenty of fuel to keep going. Haley in Troy, Michigan, hammering the front runner, Mr. Trump. To take $50 million of campaign contributions and pay him towards his personal court cases. The Michigan primary is Tuesday. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. So uh, the group was headed by Charles Koch, uh, abandoning Haley, uh, I guess, left her uh, some breadcrumbs of a million dollars there. And no, she actually, no, those, no, 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 no. Those were not from the Koch brothers. OK. Those okay. were real Americans making real okay. donations Thanks on Saturday night. Yeah. I didn't take that away from yeah. the ABC News. Today. Yeah. So the, okay. the Koch brothers are now shifting their focus to down ballot races. So they feel like they can have a better impact on the country if they go to some of those Senate races, some of the House of Representative races uh, that are continuing to play out. But the uh, the grassroots, it is interesting. You, you uh, have that showing in South Carolina, and within 24 hours, you've got a lot of people around the country uh, who are who are making contributions uh, so that they can have a choice. And I think the choice is good, regardless of whether you think Nikki Haley is a good candidate or a bad candidate or whatever. Uh, there are people who are saying choice is good and we should continue to have the conversation and the debate uh, because that actually leads us to a, a better place as a country. Michigan next, right? Michigan's next. Michigan's tomorrow. And Michigan's also a little squirrely. It has both a primary and a caucus convention. Uh, mm-hmm. So the the primary will be tomorrow, and then the uh, caucus convention will be on Saturday. So it'll split up the delegates in kind of a, a funky way, sort of like Nevada. Utah will do the same thing on Super Tuesday. All right. Thanks, Boyd. <laughs> this portion of uh, the Dave and Duchenne show is brought to you by Window World. Call Window World of Utah today for the best value in windows and doors, and that's no baloney. Uh, let's continue uh, talking about Nikki Haley with former Senate candidate Allie Isom. Um, she she ran for Senator Mike Lee's seat, uh, and she has now thrown her support behind Nikki Haley, who, by the way, is on her way to Utah this week. So let's get Allie on the line next. Dave and Duchenovic. The Race for the White House. Special coverage on KSL News Radio. Nikki Haley heading to Utah this week um, on the heels of her loss in her home state of South Carolina. She lost to former President Donald Trump in the primary there by 20 points. Uh, the silver lining uh, for Haley is that she did capture 40% of the vote. 300,000 voters. Realistically speaking, I don't see how this campaign continues beyond Super Tuesday. Even if she were to somehow surprise in some places, she is not in a position where you can say, well, if this happens and that happens, she's on a path to be the Republican nominee. It really is an embarrassing showing for her. She hoped that this would put momentum into her campaign, uh, allow her to to show that she is on the march and that voters want to buy what she's selling. But right now, there's just no evidence of that when it's actually put to the question of Republican primary voters. It's hard to be optimistic when you see these losses stack on top of each other. The message I think is being lost by the Haley campaign right now is every poll that you look at that compares Joe Biden and Donald Trump in a general election has it razor close. Trump has a little bit of an edge right now, but it's razor close. When you do a head-to-head with Nikki Haley and Joe Biden – she wins by double digits. And it, and as we were talking to Boyd Matheson, he said it doesn't matter what happens in the spring, what elections you win in the spring. It matters what you can do in November. And that's a message I think that's getting lost right now. 
uh, Ali Isom, former candidate for the United States Senate, uh, ran a campaign against uh, Senator Mike Lee. You've been a strong supporter of Haley. Are you, will you be there when she gets into town on Thursday? Is it Thursday? Did I get my date right? No, she's just coming in on Wednesday. Wednesday. I apologize for that. Yes. Um, she'll, she'll be at UVU, right? UVU at 12.30 for a rally. We'll have a VIP reception just before that, but she's at the rally at 12.30 in the Norda Center. You can get tickets on the UVU Herbert Institute website. They're free. We'd love to have Utahns come out and hear what she has to say. Why do you think it is that Republicans are so married to Donald Trump right now? Because if they truly are unhappy with Joe Biden, which they clearly are, and it looks like Nikki Haley would win in a landslide against Joe Biden. It seems like Republicans right now are willing to take the possibility of Trump winning over almost a guarantee that Nikki Haley would win. You know, Dave, I think you're underscoring something that's really important in America right now. And it's that the, the tribal politics have been dividing us for far too long. And I'm supporting Nikki because I not only do I think she's the most qualified candidate with experience and temperament, but I actually think she's the only candidate who can unite us as a country again. And I don't know about you, but like I'd like I'd like to get together for Thanksgiving in my family and not have to be so emotional and so divided. Uh, you know, I have a cute neighbor just telling me our family's so divided because of these emotions running so high in our country. And I think she. Nikki brings something to the White House that's unique. You know, Boyd was talking about a smart fighter. Yes, on the on the international scene, we need someone with her experience and breadth and strength and, and her willingness to stand against those guys that are the bad guys and to back up our allies and support them. But on the domestic front, I think she's reasonable and, and she speaks in a way that doesn't alienate people with whom she disagrees. And, I love to see that she's bringing people into the process and back to the discussion in, in healthy ways. And it means something when, you know, you were just talking about how there was a million dollars that her campaign raised in the last 24 hours. And those are from small donors. Those are real Americans, people who want a choice. They want a real choice. Well, it sounds like they want to change, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Allie Isom, uh, former candidate for United States Senate here in Utah, um, has uh, thrown her support behind uh, Nikki Haley, and I, I, Ellie, I'm I'm sure I'm I'm not alone when I say this, but whenever former President Trump opens his mouth and says the things that he says, even over the weekend, um, he's saying some he, stuff. He, I just cringe. Unhinged. I, I, so unhinged. I cringe. I I, I cringe, and I, yeah. I I I want to tell him to stop talking, which I know I'm sure his campaign managers have told him that over the years, and then they end up quitting so he doesn't stop talking but but it's the same with you know president biden uh, not so much what he says but is he going to get it is he going to get through it <laughs> so uh you know and we have two candidates who i mean we've made no secret about their ages or up there in years president trump is former president trump 77 president biden's even older than that nikki haley's in her 50s um and i again i i uh, we've seen this. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. If Trump goes up against Biden, chances are I think Biden's going to win again. So I don't understand what the Republican logic is here uh, by putting uh, former President Trump at the top of the ticket, at, at least at this point. 
You know, if we, if we want to be wise, we understand 70% of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. We are sleepwalking right back to 2020. And, and we've seen before Donald Trump continues to make not only these unhinged comments, but Republicans are losing as a result. If you look at 2018, 2020, 2022, and for me, I don't just want the White House for four years. I want it for eight years. I, I want stability and, and reason and you know, normal back in my country. And that's what I think um, Nikki brings that new generation of leadership and returns us back to the way that words matter in public policy and in public dialogue. We've seen a difference in the way that Nikki Haley is talking about Donald Trump now. Uh, It's a sharp uh, contrast to what was happening several months ago when there were several candidates that were vying for for this. Um, But she's been far more critical and and much sharper in her comments. Is she a little late to this? I I would have liked her to... I would have liked to have seen her be more direct earlier. Yes, I think so. Um, but I do think she's been very intentional about um, using language in a way that doesn't alienate. And while she's direct and forceful, she's not attacking him, his character. You know, that's, that's the difference. And it's the way we make progress when we have a conversation about the future of our nation and we talk about principle and policy rather than personalities we make a lot more progress. And, and I am so um, encouraged by the language she's been using. Um, but I do think she's pointing out the choice. It's really up to her at this point to frame the choice we have as Americans. And I think she's doing that in a forceful way, but I don't think it's in a way that um, you see from others that is personality driven, you know, name calling and, and um, over generalizations and, and, you know, turning people into caricatures. That's just not helpful in the public dialogue. And I've, I've seen her refrain from that. I'm really, really grateful. You know, when, when President Trump went after her husband being deployed and service, you know, he's serving abroad. And how many times have we heard Trump attack veterans? I mean, that's just not right. It, that is unhinged and inappropriate. And she could have said a lot of things. I'm sure the emotions were running really high, but she remained collected and called it out and said that is certainly not okay. And here's what I, she has to offer instead. And, and I think that's, that's what's really important. It's not just about tearing other people down. You have to remember, like 11 months ago, she was at 2% in the polls, 13 candidates in the race. She was just trying to get the media to pay attention. You know, the media love Trump because he makes such a great story. There's so much clickbait in headlines with his name. Um, and it's a, it's a hard thing to go up against. So I have tons of respect for her for hanging in there and understanding the conversation matters. We want a choice and she's come such a long way and you've got to give her credit for the momentum she's built and the people she's bringing back to the table, back to politics, back to the polls. It will be fascinating to hear what her message is for Utahns. Uh, she'll be here on Wednesday, 1230. She'll be speaking at UVU. There are still tickets available. Uh, thank you, Ali Isom, for joining us. Yeah, we will be following that as well with our team of reporters and producers. We've got a busy week uh, stacking up. Uh, We've got Nikki Haley visiting Utah Valley University. As Dave said, tickets are still available. Dave and I are taking our show on the road from 9 to noon tomorrow. We will be in uh, the Power District 
which is right around where the Fair Park is. This is where the new uh, Major League Baseball Stadium has been proposed and that where Utah taxpayers will be asked to spend a billion dollars in public funds uh, to build that stadium, own that stadium, um, and then hopefully we get a ball team. <laughs> a little cart before the horse. <laughs> uh, however, we will be there live tomorrow with all kinds of different angles. We're going to look at housing values now, uh, what the projections are in that area. People will even be able to afford to buy a house um, in that area, what the plans are for new housing, new development, um, and traffic as well, and also how these taxes um, that are going to be collected. We're going to speak to a tax expert uh, will be allocated and spent. So full coverage, busy week ahead uh, right here at KSL News Radio. Also this week, wrapping up the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature. So next, we're going to go live to Capitol Hill to find out what is left on tap and if lawmakers will get that funding through for these uh, sports arenas next. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. With the help of Holly Richardson of the Desert News, also the editor of Utah Policy, live in studio, we're going to fly up to Capitol Hill and give you the rundown on what lies ahead. Um, and two uh, big B words. Billion, billion dollar ballpark and billion dollar uh, NHL arena uh, on tap. President Stuart Adams joining Utah's Morning News this morning saying. Yeah, we're, we're, those are two big items that are left. And I think we're going to probably get both of them done. We're going to get those across the end zone. And uh, again, couldn't be more excited to have Major League Sports coming to Utah. It speaks so highly of what we're doing. Yeah, he's speaking in the multiple <laughs> plural sense, right? M- teams. It's because the NHL is a possible destination here in Utah. So either it's an expansion team or somebody moving over, but the jazz owner, Ryan Smith wants to bring NHL here as well. Yeah. And we're like, the Millers want yeah. baseball. The Millers and the Smiths want uh, hockey. And in fact, Holly, Dave and I are going to be broadcasting live from the Utah State Fair Park tomorrow and covering all the angles about this billion dollar pitch for the ballpark. In the middle of the snowstorm. Mm, probably. That's <laughs> that's not very glass half full, Holly. <laughs> okay, <Thank you>. sorry. <laughs> More argument for a retractable roof on that stadium, but that's for another day. Um, what, are, what are you looking at in terms of other lawmakers? Um, you know, Stuart Adams says they're going to get this done. He's the president of the Senate. He holds yeah. a lot of power out the, up there. Um, of what, course it will get done. It'll get done. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it was funny. So he kind of mixed his metaphors, right? He said getting it over the end zone and we're not talking about an NFL stadium yet. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's down the road. I don't know. Um, one of the things that's interesting is we've had, um, somewhere around 180 bills passed both bodies. But by the end of this week, it will be about 350 more than that. So, <laughs> so They're doing the bulk so, of the work of the last week. Yeah, they really do. And that happens every year. But um, they're just finishing up committee meetings today and tomorrow. And then the rest of the week will be spent on just debate on the floor, both of the House and the Senate, right, as they go back and forth on the different bills. But one of the things that's different about the last week is that you'll find a lot of suspending of the rules. So it will be like today, earlier today, they wiped the board in the House. What that means is they've taken all of the bills that they were going to discuss, they've sent them all back to rules, and then they reprioritize and send out the most important ones. Mm. So your bill 
might have been next in line to be discussed, and now it may never even see the light of day coming out. But uh, we'll see. Committee, yeah. Yep. Yep. Interesting to me, we're talking about two different professional stadiums funded in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the I, I one of the things that I think is interesting, the part of the conversation is that in Salt Lake City you've got some pretty broad support from it's bipartisan. So you've got Mayor Mendenhall is saying, you know, looking over at the west side, um, Senator Luz Escamilla saying looking at that west side, this is something that hasn't really happened and something that they are looking forward to. Um so you've got you've got conversations like that. You also have, you know, we're gonna fund this in future taxes, right? Which which, you know, we're doing another tax cut. The legislature's doing another tax cut this year, but they're going to be able to raise taxes to fund the stadium down the road. We'll see. People in southern Utah are grumbling, but they probably don't have a strong enough voice to prevent well, this from happening. And they're, I'm going to say they're grumbling because the hotel tax that's going to be raised yeah. and the you know car rental taxes that are going to be raised to fund um, the MLB stadium um, will be they're all up to here. the Wasatch Front. Yeah. The, the stadium is not yeah. going to be built in St. George. It's yeah. going to be built on the That's west right. side of Salt Lake City. Yeah. So I'm, you know, they may not feel like, we may not feel like they're going to notice it, but I'd be grumbling too if I had to drive six right. hours or five five hours from Paiute County to come right. watch a baseball game that I may not or may not be able to afford to go. Right. To. I mean, and part of the legislative conversation, right, is, is this something that benefits the entire state? So, you know, there's been taxpayer money that goes to help. Uh, the St. George Airport, for example, and you don't drive down there to fly out of St. George. I saw George. they're on the list so, for a tower down there. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I want to I land plane safely everywhere, but they're getting a tower and we're getting a ballpark. Okay. Well, and there are laws, again, that get passed that may sound bad, but they don't, they're not actually that bad. And if we're talking about the the TRT the the transient room tax yeah. it's about a buck fifty for every hundred dollars that you spend so you know e- even a, a three hundred dollar weekend at a hotel stay it's it's a little over four dollars so it right. sure it might sound bad that that Carbon County has to pay for the stadium up here but it's four bucks right. The, the other part of the argument, though, is that some of the data from other states says that these stadiums don't actually turn out to be the income producer that, you know, their proponents true. say that it might be. you got to have a good team, too. Yeah. Well, true. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're paying for some of the reputation yeah. and, the, and the swag that yeah. having a professional team brings to a community. Sure. Sure. So, so that's, that's that's one of the big things on the docket this week. That one will go through. There's other bills. So there's um, still committee meetings today and tomorrow. One of the bills later today will be the one that would um, put an armed security person in every school in the state of Utah. So this is K through 12, but it's private, it's charter, it's public neighborhood, neighborhood public schools. Um, this bill has been funded. So, so again, nothing is final until the very last minute, right? But um, the Executive Appropriations Committee has set aside $100 million of one-time money and then ongoing in $1.5 million. For that? For that specific okay. uh, activity, yeah. There's so many layers here to talk about with education. They were talking about that uh, $20,000 increase or teacher bonuses mm-hmm. based on performance. Yep. I'm going to beg you, can you stick around sure. for a few more minutes, yeah. Holly? Because there's so much left to be done on Capitol Hill. You said there's 350 
more pieces of legislation that need to come out um, of rules and will probably get passed by the end of the session. We're just a few days away. So we've got to tap your brain for more. (laughs) And I think what what is so interesting is we thought and we had been told even by uh, the legislature that they were going to tackle the big big bills early on. And they certainly did that uh, on some level with uh, the bathroom bill and some transgender stuff. uh, DEI. DEI, obviously. But this back end that we thought, you know, maybe maybe it'll be smooth sailing. This has been every bit as spicy yeah. because they really do have some interesting, talkable, debatable yeah. things. Yeah, we'll talk about what, what they're doing for Utah schools, including that uh, beefing up that teacher pay um, and also uh, the child tax credit and the expansion on that yeah. uh, next. Dave and Duchanovic. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and DeGenevic. Well, Dan Bob is reporting this from our newsroom that it's days left in the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature. There are uh, billions of dollars that are going to be spent, hundreds of bills um, that are coming out. Even as of today, Holly Richardson with Utah Policy and also the Deseret News has been keeping an eye on the Hill, Dave. We're looking at uh, some of the, the proposals, and one one that caught my eye, and I thought it was a, a fascinating concept, was getting teachers, school teachers, up to $100,000 a year. And, and that was something that piqued my interest, because right now the way Utah works largely is kind of a, a steps and ladders. Is I think that's how they call it. it they essentially take your education level, and your experience, and you know exactly how much money you're going to make as a teacher. This would allow for exceptional teachers, the rock star teachers out there, to get a bonus of perhaps ten dollars to $20,000. Yeah, I mean, that's a who doesn't want that, right? (laughs) But they would have to work, some of them would have to work in areas that were more at risk. So, so one of the things is the devil's always in the details, right? So this bill um, being proposed by Senator Fillmore, I, it's going to be funded. They have $150 million set aside for it. But he's leaving all the details to the local education agencies, and so they can decide what is that going to look like, right? And, and you don't have to take into account, for example, if you do work in a harder classroom for, um, with kids who have either behavior problems or learning disabilities, there are some things that you don't have to take into account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're trying to level the playing field a little bit, right? But w- one of the parts of the conversation that is difficult sometimes is how do you play teachers off each other and will this create competition instead of cooperation between teachers right hopefully it'll be a rising tide lifts all boats and everybody can have an opportunity to improve but yeah that's one of the one of the things so it would get happen. some teachers to a hundred thousand dollars yeah. a year yeah um and uh, it'll get funded with the you said it'll get funded this week yep. um and then i it takes effect Soon, right? I mean, I think the bill takes effect. um, This one takes effect at the end of the summer or in the summer, but it will take a while for implementation to kind of trickle down. Another uh, part of this that's kind of a a nuanced thing is it doesn't necessarily raise this teacher's uh, salary. Right. It's it's truly more like a bonus Mm -hmm. for about three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the proposal. There's several other proposals too about uh, teacher retention, right? So a lot of it has to be financial. We know that teachers in Utah, a large percentage of them are leaving before year five, 
and 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 some of them are very specific that it's the money right you can't support a family on a teacher salary and so they're trying to look at how do we make it better so representative perucci has a teacher retention bill um, representative karen peterson has a bill for student teachers this is on the other end of it right but um she was seeing that that students would finish their coursework but not finish the student teaching because they had to go earn the tuition money because when you're a student teacher you're paying tuition you're not getting paid you're working more than full-time hours and so this is a big drain on family finances and so her bill has also passed and has been funded or at least recommended by the executive appropriations committee and that's to give each student teacher a six thousand dollar stipend for the semester that they do their student teaching really? so yeah so they're trying to look at it from all angles right but how do you get teachers into the profession how do you keep them how do you incentivize them to stay a twenty thousand dollar bonus is a pretty good incentive so they were going and doing their student teaching and still have to pay for their tuition. That's right. But they, if they're student teaching and they're not getting paid to student teach, then they probably also can't. Oh, do they have a weekend job so they can help pay for that? Yeah, it's some just, of them do, actually. Sure. Some of them did have to have weekend jobs. So they're exhausted. Jobs. Yeah. Student moms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we want people to stay yeah. and go into the profession <laughs> and stay in the profession. We're yeah. like, you got to pay your way in. I know. Pay, pay to go do the work. Yep. <laughs> and extra jobs. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a good plan. We're talking yeah. right now live with Holly Richardson. She has been uh, keeping an eye on the Hill and uh, reporting uh, quite a bit. For not only the Desert News, but also she's the editor of Utah Policy, joining us uh, live in studio with uh, with us uh, this today because uh, we are just a few days away from the end of the 2024 general session of the Utah State Legislature. It wraps on Friday. Probably will go to 11:59. Uh, let's talk about that child tax credit. Sure. Uh, they were looking to extend the child tax credit, but it was attached to, uh, it was lumped in with other legislation That's to right. expand the number of unlicensed uh, daycare slots a provider, uh, an unlicensed provider could yeah. provide to eight. So so this is a bill by uh, Representative Susan Pulsifer, and it was initially presented as just the tax credit bill, which would take the tax credit eligibility from age up to age four to up to age six. They've dropped that down to up to age five, so just an extra year. But what happened with the First Amendment was to lump all this in with child care. So saying that you could do you could have an unlicensed daycare in your home of up to eight children instead of six, which is currently the number. And um just breaking news this morning is that this bill was heard in the Senate committee, and in the Senate they said we don't really like that, and we think we're going to strip that out as it hits the Senate floor. The unlicensed, the unlicensed child care expansion, and just keep the tax credit piece. But they would still be able to have up to six kids. It's up to six. That's the current law. But they yeah. won't expand. The Senate doesn't like it enough to expand it to eight. That that's the word on the street as okay. of this morning. <laughs> so so we trust who, knows? who knows? Who yeah. knows? This is important for for folks to to understand that your federal tax credit that you get when you're doing your taxes that's two thousand dollars right. for a child up to eighteen. Right. This is a state tax credit. That's right. Only up to age five of a thousand dollars. So so what this is and the, and it, it's income defined. So okay. this this credit passed last year for the first time and what they're trying to do is help families especially young families right as you're starting to get your feet underneath you and so if you've got an income level um, that's below a certain amount and you've got children who are up to now uh, four they're four and under you can get the state tax credit different from the federal yep and they're and they're looking at expanding that. Well, they were looking at expanding it up to age and to include age five, but now they've dropped it back down to just up to age uh, 
So including age four up to age five okay. instead of including age five so up to age six. So when they turn age five, no more. <laughs> That's right. Okay, instead right. of up to age six. Yeah. Wow, it gets yeah. complicated. But it's good to know, I think, for families to know where lawmakers are landing on this. Yeah, and they're, the, the goal is to help families, again, at this you know beginning part of the family life, jobs, and, and childbearing. And it's per child? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, because I had three under the age of uh, four. Yeah, <laughs> I had my third child. You'd have been my golden. oldest was you like three been. and a half. Oh, we would have been rolling in the cash. I mean, we would have thousand dollars buying diapers and formula. Who exactly. knows, right? <laughs> so we've got expensive stadiums. We've got education um, budget. Yeah, I mean the budget's twenty eight billion dollars, and it sounds like a ton of money. I think it is, but this year was um, a little. I guess more stable. Last year, they're calling last year a bubble year because there were still some pandemic funds and federal funds, and those aren't coming through this year. There was still an increase in the budget, though, um, of a billion dollars, $1.1 billion. But all of that money is going to be allocated. So Utah prides itself on having a balanced budget. And sometimes what that means is um, you find places to spend your money because at the end of the day, you want the line to be zero, right? You just kind of like a nonprofit, right? So so, so there's lots of places where money's going, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. There's always more requests for money than there is money to allocate. But some of the concerns this year are especially people in the child care area, yeah. child advocacy, saying, you know, we're funding these stadiums, and we're not funding hunger like we could, for example, or, you know, helping to cover pregnant women and children by expanding the eligibility for Medicaid on the lower end of the income scale. Those types of There's things. There's always what we call winners and losers yeah. um, on the Hill every single year. And I know the advocates for children um, and for those um, Utahns with disabilities are up there all the time, year after yeah. year, trying to get as much money as they can for yeah. those those programs as well. Holly, a- oh, sorry, out of time. Do you have a last thought? It'll all wrap up by Friday midnight, so... Whether they want it to or not. Whether they want it to or not. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Holly Richardson uh, runs Utah Policy. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Holly. Uh, Don't forget, live coverage from the um, proposed area of the new Major League Baseball Stadium right there at about North Temple, Redwood Road. Dave and I live at the Utah State Fair Park. Tons of coverage in the lineup. We're going to talk about real estate values and what a ballpark will do to that, what that area is going to look like. Also, taxes, how it will be collected and allocated And traffic, of course, lots of coverage tomorrow from 9 to noon.